Do you run Kubernetes? Is your environment growing, but your bills are growing faster? Check out the Gmaestro platform from Granulate. Gmaestro will dynamically assess your current Kubernetes environment and recommend ways to save up to 60% on your cost. The platform works with Kubernetes in the cloud or in your data center. And best of all, it's free. Get control of your Kubernetes costs with Gmaestro from Granulate. Give it a try now at granulate.io slash gmaestro. That's granulate.io slash gmaestro. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it is the beginning of October. It is hard to believe that we are in October, but here we are. And a, a bit of a slow news week, but I think we found some good ones for you this week. For our first article, it actually is, isn't an article, it's a Twitter thread. A, a good friend of the show and past guest, James Urquhart, did a thread specifically about platform engineering and the question was, is this simply hype? Um, I know I've joked either on the show or off the show of, you know, is this just simply an infrastructure admin, a new name, almost like uh, support folks and SREs at times. But no. Um, and he goes on to give a background into why. And it's a very informative Twitter thread. Again, link is in the show notes, but go take a look. But it starts off with, first of all, Let's kind of go way back in the day. And I know sometimes we like to say that on the Cloudcast a lot, but back in the day, in the infrastructure days, everything was broken down by compute, network, storage. That was your basic models. And you had admins to uh, administer all of that and do care and feeding on all of that. And they were physical boxes. And then, of course, abstraction comes along and, and VMware. And then we had converged infrastructure and VMs. And, and then we had hyper-converged infrastructure. But eventually, we had a cloud model. And this cloud model introduced shared infrastructure. And so what I mean by that is you might have multiple applications going to one big database. You might have messaging systems uh, that sometimes these things are going to require specialized skills, but it's not a one-to-one -one correlation between the app or the microservice and the services underneath. So this created a new layer. This new operations layer is what turned into platform operations and shared services, and this required platform engineers to take care of it. And also, if you think about this, a lot of times, we, you know, DevOps comes about and they're like, oh, it's developers doing operations and, and operators doing development. Well, what if you're in an environment where you have a bunch of SaaS applications? You're not necessarily doing development on those. And so you're making sure the operations fits in from all the way to integrating it, to doing improvements on it, and, and again, care and feeding over time. So it's a very fascinating thread, very informative thread, and it, it kind of makes you go, oh, yeah, okay, I get that, absolutely. And moving on to our second article, CEO Tim Cook of Apple had this to say, um, they don't use the word metaverse because, hey, the average person doesn't know what that means, doesn't understand that. Maybe true, uh, but we're going to go ahead and make that a new policy on the Cloudcast as well. Um, it's one of those things, it can mean so many different things, and we've talked about it on both Sunday Perspectives and on the regular show. But 
at the end of the day, it is just a means to an end, and it's a confusing term, and Apple's not going to use it anymore. And finally, we are going to move on to one, actually, I'm probably one of the few customers, actually, of this. Google uh, is killing off Stadia. And uh, after, gosh, I think it was two years, three years, almost three years, I actually used this, um, had the controller, played a couple games, uh, got all the way through Red Dead Redemption 2 and Doom Eternal and a couple others on, on the services. But in the end, uh, not a lot of users, not enough users to be sustainable. Uh, I also had seen rumors of, hey, it was time to upgrade all the systems and it was just super expensive to maintain over time. And also the games uh, weren't necessarily there. I know they they signed a big a big partnership with Ubisoft, but other than that, it just wasn't getting the traction. And hey, you have to consider, I mean, the, a lot of the prices are through the roof. Um, a lot of folks uh, during the pandemic kind of flocked to some of these services, but um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, the consoles uh, still win on something like this. So uh, Google will be actually be refunding everyone uh, 100% of all the games they've purchased, controllers, anything else that they've purchased and involved in the Stadia ecosystem. Google will be refunding all of that back and shutting down the service come January of 2023. And with that, that is going to wrap up Cloud News of the Week. And coming up right after the break, we have Joe Duffy, founder and CEO of Pulumi. And we're going to be talking about the evolution of infrastructure as code. Buffering. How annoying. Did you know that 17 out of 20 people stop watching a video because of stalling and rebuffering? Don't let your users click away to a competitor's site. If your business lies on online media, rely on CDN 77 to deliver a seamless online experience to your audience. CDN 77 is one of the leading global providers of content delivery network services. They power the world's most popular websites and apps, such as Udemy, ESL Gaming, Live Sports TV, and social media platforms. Aside from their massive and redundant global network, you're going to love their no BS attitude and skilled team of engineers ready to help 24-7. No chatbots, no tickets bouncing around unresolved for days, just people who know your use case and can immediately help you pinpoint and fix the problems. Don't wait until your users run out of patience. Go to cdn77.com slash cloudcast and ask for a free trial with no duration or traffic limits. That's cdn77.com slash cloudcast. And we're back. And Aaron, it's good to be back with you. Uh, congratulations to your team. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was a, it was a close one. Yeah, um, absolutely. absolutely. I think closer than both of us thought. That's right. We are, uh, we're going to dig into a topic that you and I have kind of been been covering and seeing evolve for a long time, which is uh, kind of the the whole space around infrastructure as code. And I feel like we first started learning about this stuff way back in like 2013 when we were at one of the Linux con conferences. And But so much has evolved in this space. Yeah, yeah. And to, to your point, yeah, I was thinking back, I was, it was probably that Linux con where we actually were there in person. And then there was some reinvents where we were following the topic really closely and 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 we've actually our guests we've spoken to them a couple of years ago yeah. as well and so returning guests if you will to the show so yeah absolutely so we have uh we have had the good folks from Pulumi on the show before but we have not yet had Joe Duffy who is founder and CEO of uh, of Pulumi Joe welcome to the show great to have you on 
Hey guys, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. We had uh, we had sort of your 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 partner in crime on before, but uh, so great to have you on the show. Um, like we mentioned, it's been been a couple of years, sort of pre pandemic, when you guys were first launching. Um, give us an update, just first and foremost. How's Palumi doing? How how are you guys growing? What's you know what's sort of happened over the last couple of years? Yeah, a lot a lot has happened in the last couple of years. I think um, really seeing ton of momentum in the community. You know, for us, you know, we're open source. We have, Plumi is an open source tool. And of course, we've got a commercial enterprise edition. So seeing tons of community adoption, lots of, of uh, customers, both big and small. I think the, the sort of trends that we identified early on, things like cloud native, uh, you know, putting developers more in the driver's seat, some of the benefits to Plumi's unique way of doing infrastructure as code are really really working well in practice. And so we've continued to evolve the platform, ship a bunch of new uh, features and versions and just continuing to make customers happy. So, so Joe, um, something else I wanted to also touch on since 2019, there's been a lot of change in the infrastructure as code market over the last couple of years. You, you look at, you know, Ansible went to IBM, HashiCorp went IPO, Chef and Puppet went private equity, VMware bought salt. Um, there's been the rise of, of Terraform as well. And so why do you think from a market perspective, there's been so much change in such a short period of time? Yeah, I think there has been a lot of just rapid acceleration of cloud adoption. You know, COVID actually, when, when COVID hit, we saw acceleration. I think that combined with some of the trends like cloud native, I think, you know, as you say, things just evolved very rapidly. I think the one thing that we hear nowadays that we we definitely didn't hear back in 2019 or you know when we started the company in 2017 is infrastructure as code is table stakes. Like we hear that all the time. What you know, we'll get on a call with a the customer. They'll say, "Hey, we want to start using Plumi," and we'll we'll talk about why. And they said, you know, step one, everybody knows on your on your cloud journey is to pick an infrastructure as code technology because that's required to go to the cloud. And honestly, the exciting thing for us is we like to say all software is cloud software. That wasn't true even just 10 years ago, but every application these days touches the cloud in one way or another. Um, some of them in big ways, some of them just in small ways. But, but that means that every, every company out there and every developer out there is actually building cloud software. And that is a fundamentally different world to live in. And so I think, you know, you look at some of the acquisitions that you mentioned, uh, you know, with SaltStack and, and Ansible, I think some of the larger companies, there's a fair bit of consolidation happening because every one of them hears the same thing. And so they all want their their own flavor of infrastructure as code. Yeah. And and like you said, you know, we're we're seeing we're seeing folks deploying, obviously, uh, COVID accelerated uh, deployments in the public cloud. We're seeing folks using stuff across multiple clouds like you know, I feel like back in the day, you thought about infrastructure as code. And again, going back to say early Ansible days, early you know early types of days, it was it was very much this thing of like um, it was kind of a sophisticated uh, way for sysadmins to to manage scripts. And then you know it, it evolved, and we were managing infrastructure as opposed to just like uh, building up machines and, and and images and so forth. But like you know, you mentioned sort of this idea of of all software is now sort of cloud software. What is that like? How do you explain infrastructure as code to people? What does that mean in terms of how it's evolved? Like who's who's touching Palumi? Um, you know what's like what does it? What does sort of the state of it look like in twenty twenty two? Because it, it does, like you said, it does feel like it's really shifted a lot 
because of where people are running their code and, and what they're interacting with is, is really different. Yeah, I think it definitely is a lot, a lot has changed. You know, I think, I think you might've said 2013 when you were talking about infrastructure as code and, you know, but you think back to then, I sometimes call it like two virtual machines and a database. Yeah. It, like that was, <laughs> that was kind of the, the extent of the cloud architecture. And it's not to say anything, there's nothing bad about that. It was simple. It was a much easier world, but it was more about automating scripts, as you say. Um, and, you know, standing up a couple of virtual machines and scaling it out at the pace of, you know, every quarter, maybe doing capacity planning. These days, you're shipping constantly. Uh, honestly, many of our, our customers have thousands of environments they have to manage. Within those environments, they've got thousands of resources that are being managed, like lambdas and API gateways and, you know, uh, databases. And, and that's, a, that's a very different world to live in. So where Pulumi really comes in, I think it's really taming the complexity of all of those moving pieces and allowing you to automate the provisioning, the scaling. And we like to use the phrase program the cloud because we bring great programming languages uh, to your fingertips to do infrastructure as code in, in your favorite language, you know, whether that's Python or Go or JavaScript. Um, we give people choice. And, and what that lets them do is really use everything we love about software engineering and apply it to really complexity at scale, which is, is really what we're seeing everywhere nowadays. Of course, some folks still are doing virtual machine-based workloads, and that's that's perfectly fine. You know, we can do that too. But it's really, you know, accommodating the full spectrum of scenarios. Um, and that can be a developer. That can be an infrastructure expert. It can be a DevOps practitioner. Really, I think Pulumi is uniquely situated as sort of a gateway between the infrastructure side of the house and developers. And that was that was sort of intentional. That was our vision is let's break down the silos and help people just build better cloud software. Yeah. And to kind of go on that one step further, because um, I really like what you say about that, that straddling between infrastructure as code and, and, and developers and applications. But I also want to go back to the comment you made about, you know, two, two VMs in a database was infrastructure as code. But we also have to remember how far we've come in the fact that there was a time when infrastructure wasn't API driven. Right. It was it was a lot of folks sitting in front of a console, uh, you know, hand operating these. And, and how do you automate this at scale? And so w it's really interesting to see this development model that that is straddling infrastructure as code and applications. But let me ask you, how does it really get used, especially at scale? And And maybe a second part question to that is there's the actual use cases and, and what is used the majority of the time. But then everyone has like, oh, wow, I didn't think of that. Is there those kinds of use cases as well? Absolutely. I, th I think there's there, there's some really exciting use cases in the second category there um, that honestly we never imagined uh, from the outset. I'd say the, the basic use case is, you know, uh, let's say you need some infrastructure in the cloud. Well, you can log into the console, you can point and click, and you can create some stuff. And that's fine. Or you can write a bash script, but, but it's not repeatable, right? I mentioned many of our customers have thousands of environments. You know, Snowflake is a customer, for example, and they're shipping to many different data centers, many different regions, many different clouds because they run in AWS Azure and Google Cloud. Um, and, and you don't want to be manually provisioning those things. In fact, it, it just wouldn't be feasible, especially for somebody like Snowflake where they're spinning up infrastructure every second of every day. 
Um, and so with Pulumi, with infrastructure as code, it allows you to automate the provisioning. And that means the creation, the update, the evolution of it. So if you need to go scale things up or down, um, it can it can handle all of those state transitions for you. So it's automated. And then if you want to go stand up a new environment, hey, it's repeatable, right? So you can say, hey, I, I want production East Coast, production West Coast. I want a bunch of development environments because we're going to, you know, every developer is going to have their own private environment that they're working on. You know, it really accommodates those core use cases. We we did this thing we call it the automation API, which is the thinking there was: what if infrastructure as code wasn't just a command line tool? It was what if it was actually a library you could embed into a larger piece of software that had to manage infrastructure? And so, like Cockroach Labs is a you know great database company they have a database SaaS product when you go to their website you click give me a cockroach database on the back end it's using the automation api to spin up kubernetes clusters and deploy cockroach labs databases into them and it really goes from just a tool that runs when a human runs it to being integrated into the fabric of your software systems and that that's really exciting and that opened up a ton of use cases we never imagined yeah one of the things that's cool about um, you know when you when you not only build technology but you you build communities around it is there's this kind of flywheel of learning that happens right like it's not just hey the the ideas that Palumi came up with it's you know what your community came up with what people learn um, you know you you mentioned a couple of uh, SaaS companies so you mentioned you mentioned Snowflake and you mentioned um, uh, cockroaches as people that are that are using the technology do you find um, that uh, you know because because if you if you showed a lot of enterprises how SaaS companies operate, they'd be, uh, you know, as as fascinated as we were back in the day when people talked about you know Google having one admin for a thousand you know VMs and so forth. Like, are you finding some of the SaaS learnings uh, are are now coming back and are able to be applied into the enterprise for like more enterprise use cases? Is is that sort of flywheel happening at all in terms of new ways that that people are using it? They are, and as you're. As you're alluding to, a lot of the born in the cloud companies are sort of, you know, charting a new course and are a couple of years out ahead of a lot of the other companies. But we definitely see in enterprises, you know, especially the wanting to pick up cloud native technologies like Kubernetes as part of the modernization. A lot of enterprise customers we, we talk to are trying to retire, you know, legacy data centers and, and definitely these days with inflation and costs going up, you know, it's just accelerated a lot of those initiatives. Um, we also work with a lot of the more forward thinking parts of the organization. So, you know, Mercedes Benz has been a customer of ours for several years and we started working with their connected car division because for the car to be connected, it has to be integrated with the cloud. And that was really important to them, but that was sort of a beachhead project that showed a lot of success. And now we're working with many, many different teams in the organization. I, I think, you know, as these larger enterprises, frankly, are getting disrupted by some of the born-in-the-cloud companies, they're being forced to reimagine how they're doing things, and the cloud becomes a competitive advantage for them. It's it's no longer just an afterthought. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that last point you you point out, I think, is really important. I think people forget that you know we're we're no longer in a stage where like enterprise IT is a big monolith, right? There there are a ton of these sort of faction groups that get spun out to you know, go, go after, go after the people that are competing against them, trying to disrupt them. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And Joe, let me ask you this. And cause you mentioned earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, 
that you know a lot of folks this is one of the first tools they pick up if you will if you want to go from i'll say the old school way to the new school way right um and most people will just pick up a tool and that becomes the tool they kind of use and and but what about folks that want to change right because we we mentioned some other tools earlier in the podcast as as part of the, you know the market landscape here if someone was using a, you know a different tool uh, is there easy ways to migrate uh, to Pulumi and is there a steep learning curve i'm sure this is something you get on a regular basis yeah we we have a lot of tools to help with conversion we actually include conversion as part of our commercial uh, relationships with customers. So if you've got, you know, a few, few dozen Terraform workspaces, you know, we'll just convert them for you. Um, so you don't have to think about it. Um, I, I will say like in the early days, the first time we knew we were onto something, our first customer, their, their main DevOps architect had just left the company and left behind 25,000 lines of CloudFormation, which was JSON. And that they didn't really understand how it worked. They were struggling to evolve it. And we, we worked with them to get 25,000 lines into 250 lines of JavaScript that the whole team understood. And they picked JavaScript. We have a lot of other languages. But it was really that sort of many orders of magnitude reduction in complexity that we see when people move to Pulumi. That's, that's really the power of programming languages. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of tools if people want to convert on their own. But we also include that as part of you know, onboarding a new customer as well. No, it's interesting. I want to want to ask you one last question. I want to be conscious of your time because uh, you, you're running the business. You guys are doing very, very well. Um, what is you know you, you mentioned sort of the the users are sometimes dev, sometimes ops, sometimes DevSecOps, and so forth. Like, what is you know if you were if you were talking to a customer today, uh, let, let's say it's an enterprise that said, "Hey, we're uh, you know we're we're spinning off this group, this you know center of excellence kind of group, right? We're going to go after something." You, know, you kind of talked about that, like. What would you? What would you? How would you explain to them what that new organization looks like? Right, like it, you know, like we hear DevOps kind of thrown around. We hear you build it, you run it, but like, what does what does that modern operations group look like that that would use Pulumi? What's the interactions like? Kind of just you know, like if somebody says like, "Hey, what should we look like?" What what does that look like? Yeah, it's a great question, and we see all points along that spectrum. There's a, there's a pattern that's emerging that's very common, but it, it definitely it might not be stage appropriate for all companies, but an, an enterprise certainly, or even just a sort of large uh, born in the cloud company. This is, in fact, I mentioned Snowflake. This is the model that they use. I'll call it sort of the platform engineering model. The platform engineering team that we're seeing many companies adopt this model sort of sits in between the, the operators who operate the infrastructure um, and the developers who are going to be incorporating the, the cloud into their applications and, and ultimately deploying into the cloud. And the platform engineering team is sort of infrastructure-oriented. They're infrastructure experts, but they increasingly use software engineering techniques to build out an internal platform, really helping developers to self-serve so that developers don't have to file tickets and wait for months at a time to get new infrastructure. They can self-serve. but but they also build in the guardrails to make sure that security, compliance, cost uh, are all following best practices. And then, of course, developers in that model are not necessarily the deep experts in, hey, how do I 
how do I spin up a highly available, cost-effective Kubernetes cluster that's multi-region, has failover with a, with a secure network? Like those, those fall on the shoulders of the more operator infrastructure-oriented folks. Um, but this platform engineering team is kind of sitting in the mall. This is very sitting in the middle. This is very common amongst the sort of, let's say, the cloud innovators. Um, but we definitely see earlier stage companies where they just want to put the the developers in the driver's seat and they'll have a few SREs who are sort of the domain experts on infrastructure. And of course, we still work with a lot of folks who have a harder partition between developers and infrastructure, and maybe the developers aren't able to self-serve, that the infrastructure team is still in the driver's seat. So we see all those models, but that platform engineering model is definitely sort of best in class from what we're seeing. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. No, it's, and that's, I think that's important for folks to kind of keep an eye on. We've been hearing more and more about platform engineering and, and looking for good examples of, of how those are working well and, and even, you know, examples of, of them not working well and sort of lessons learned. So, um, yeah, good to hear that that's, that's sort of evolving. Um, Joe, I guess, uh, last question, we'll wrap it up for you. Um, what you know? What are what are the best ways if folks are, especially if they're new to Pulumi? I know you guys have a, a really really loyal community, and, and folks are using it a lot. But if you're sort of new to this, or like Aaron mentioned, you're you're kind of you know had been previously using something else, and you're running into bottlenecks. Like, what are what are the best ways for folks to kind of initially engage with the Pulumi team, the Pulumi community, get started, um, kind of you know get get in on on the cool things you guys are working on? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing is really important. Uh, this is a common. Uh, misconception, but Pulumi is open source. Right. So you don't, you don't have to pay us to use Pulumi. You can go to Pulumi.com, download it, use it for free. Um, and so that's, that's the easiest way to get started. Uh, we have a community Slack. Um, so slack.pulumi.com. You've got thousands of people in there sharing best practices, helping each other out. The whole Pulumi team hangs out there. We're, we're on GitHub as well, you know, since we're open source. And so any, any questions or um, issues that people run into, or even if you just, you know, want to find an example that, that you're struggling to find, we're, we're there to help. And then, you know, if you get to the stage where you want to adopt it in your team, we have a very hands-on team who, who digs in and helps with architecture and helps with onboarding, converts your Terraform for you. Just make sure that you're up, you're as successful as possible. We do training workshops, all those good things. Yeah. The, the 10X team, they can come out to your 25,000 line uh, JSON and turn it into 250. <laughs> I mean, that's a 100X team. I think my Precisely. Yeah. yeah. 100X team. There you go. There you um, go. Well, cool. Joe, thank you so much for, for the learning, for the insight. Aaron, you want to you wanna wrap us up and uh, take us home? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you, everyone, for your time this week. And then thank you to uh, Joe for uh, also taking the time. It's good to catch up after a couple of years. Um, for everyone out there, if you have a moment, uh, we would love to hear your feedback. Um, either give us an email or uh, reach, out, reach out to us on Twitter. And also, if you get your podcast somewhere where they allow reviews, um, go ahead and give us a review as well. We would certainly appreciate it. And with that, I'm going to say thank you very much this week, and we will talk to everyone next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 